0: You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to Now Hear This. I'm your host, Chris Spangle. Now Hear This is a conversation with leaders in Indianapolis that are working to improve the lives of Hoosiers. Our goal is to empower you to join in their work and make a difference while informing you about the unseen aspects of life in Indiana. If you miss an episode, you can listen via podcast at nowhearthisindy.com. Today we are discussing homelessness in Indianapolis, and my guest is Chelsea Herring-Cozy, who is the CHIP Executive Director. CHIP stands for Coalition for Homelessness Intervention and Prevention. Uh, www.chipindy.org is their website. Thank you so much for joining me, Chelsea. Can you tell us a little bit more about CHIP? What do you do?
1: Sure. Thanks for having me, Chris. I'm honored to be here today talking about this really important issue here in Indianapolis. Um, Just a little background about CHIP as an organization. Um, CHIP does not provide direct services to those experiencing homelessness, but we really work with the continuum of service providers here in Indianapolis, collectively working on solutions to homelessness. So we are considered um, a backbone agency or a lead agency, really bringing together a shared vision for how we work to end homelessness, and moving forward strategies across our continuum of providers. So we help secure funding um, for housing and services. We conduct important research and collect data to help inform who's experiencing homelessness and how we're progressing and making um, an impact. We help advocate for policy change. And again, we just work with the collective groups of folks out there um, really working hard for solutions to those experiencing homelessness.
0: I know every year you do something called a PIT count, a point-in-time count, which is required by HUD, and it helps give us an idea of the people that are experiencing homelessness. Can you give us an idea of who experiences homelessness, why, and the different types?
1: Sure, absolutely. So when we talk about the PIT count or the the point-in-time count, I wanna just reiterate that it's exactly that. It is a snapshot, a single night census or snapshot of who's experiencing homelessness here in Indianapolis, um, what that looks like by demographic um, and where people are showing up. And it really helps give us, again, a snapshot of how homelessness is changing over time, how who is experiencing homelessness is changing over time um, and where we need to continue to direct uh, resources um, and support. And so, you know, what that looks like um, in any given year here in Indianapolis, It's it's been fairly flat over the last several years. So there's, you know, anywhere from 1,500 to 1,800 at, at the highest level of people on a single night experiencing homelessness in the city. We're actually in the midst right now this week of our 2021 point in time count So the data I'll be referencing is is last year's 2020 pit count um, from January.
0: From January 2020, so it's pre-pandemic numbers.
1: Absolutely, it is pre-pandemic. Okay. Um, And on that single night last January, there were 1,588 individuals experiencing homelessness here in Indianapolis on one night. What that looks like, it is primarily single men. Um, Although we're paying more and more attention to families and families with larger numbers experiencing homelessness, it is um, disproportionately Black black Hoosiers that are experiencing homelessness. So 54% of those experiencing homelessness on that single night um, were Black households or Black individuals, which is very disproportionate to the Marion County population. It is largely single people experiencing homelessness. Um, And in Indianapolis, in terms of where people are experiencing homelessness, it's predominantly in shelters, shelters, transitional housing, or safe haven. Um, We have a fairly lower unsheltered count compared to other cities. Um, And so, you know, it's ranged in years past to, you know, 100 to 180 people on a single night living unsheltered.
0: Yeah. And for those not familiar with the, the Indianapolis area, it's about a million people in Marion County and in Indianapolis and then two and a half million metro. And it's the 12th largest city. Um, can you talk about what are some of the ways that someone might end up homeless? I think the, the caricature that people often have in their mind is that someone is struggling with mental illness and ends up on the street. That's not always the case. So how do they end up on the street? And then what are some steps for those experiencing homelessness to get out of it?
1: Yeah, that's a great uh, question, Chris, because I think there are a lot of stereotypes and misperceptions about who experiences homelessness and why. Uh, so there's no, you know, one pathway to why someone might lose housing on a large scale level. Um, the reason people may be experiencing homelessness and why we see homelessness as the, the complex uh, issue that it is right now is years and years of bad policy Um, and misguided programs. It is is things like disinvestment in community-based mental health um, and substance abuse um, services. But that is not the sole reason people experience homelessness. Uh, Job loss and income loss is a, a significant reason. The lack of affordable housing and the fact that wages have not kept up with the same rates of housing costs. Uh, healthcare expenses. We hear time and time again, particularly for families, that if there is a health crisis in a family, what it takes to be able to pay the bills in response to that health crisis can result in a loss of housing, um, where people are having to choose between paying their medical expenses or their rent. Um, And so there are a variety of reasons that people may lose housing and end up experiencing homelessness. There's no linear path. There's no one reason. Um, But what we see more and more is is not because of substance abuse issues or mental health issues, um, but it's lack of income or loss of income or wages that can't keep up with housing costs, increasing debt because of medical expenses or educational expenses. And and oftentimes, particularly again for Black populations, it's a result of housing discrimination. Um, and and even even
0: in twenty twenty one,
1: even in twenty twenty one, yeah, there's been some really interesting research done by the Public Policy Institute at who's at more risk of eviction, and you start to see that there are absolutely racial inequities in terms of who's more at risk of eviction. Um, that really speaks more to discriminatory practices, that's... and I think that's something that people don't realize either—that there are some some really systemic and institutional reasons um, that are leading to homelessness in the ways that we see it.
0: So you you've mentioned some shelters, some safe houses. You know, when I, I've had conversations with folks at like Wheeler Mission, they say often people don't want to come to a shelter for a variety of reasons. Um, lawmakers or policymakers in the city will say people are on the circle because they don't there, there's plenty of beds they don't want to go there and how true is that and and what does the city's capacity for making sure someone on this january night as we're recording this where it's going to be 20 degrees has a, a bed to sleep and the the option to go there
1: yeah, I think part of it is making sure that there are options that um, really do kind of meet the varied types of households that may be experiencing homelessness. Um, so we, I mean, our partners at Wheeler do a tremendous job and have been phenomenal partners um, in terms of providing safe places for folks to come in. Um, what what's really hard is for households that are a couple. So you have a couple that may not be able to come in to shelter together and they um, would rather stay together instead of kind of separating and having to go into separate shelters.
0: And if I may ask, I don't think there is a shelter for women until there's one being developed by Allison Melanchthon and, and some of her partners. I mean, that that's going to be the first female shelter, is it not? You're in town?
1: Well, so Wheeler, there, um, Wheeler Center for Women and Children does provide sheltering options for women. Okay. Um, but what there is a real lack of is sheltering options for couples Um, However, couples may identify Uh, a lack of sheltering options for those who may, uh, for those who are trans or LGBTQ community feeling safe, that they can come in and be their authentic selves and, and be in a safe place. Um, So we're really excited that Trinity Haven, which is a shelter for young adults, Um, particularly who identify as LGBTQ to have that safe place to authentically be who they are and not not fear um, how they identify. And, you know, for families, too, there are very few family shelters to have full families come in together. We've been able to do that this year with COVID because of the hoteling options and because they're private rooms to have a dad come in with kids. That's not been an option historically, dads with kids to be able to come into a place together uh, or for family units to come in. So that may be keeping people out of shelter. Um, And it's not that shelter is not there, but it doesn't meet all of the needs of how households show up in homelessness. The other part is, um, you know, our our shelters are faith-based shelters. And so they aren't uh, no barrier or low barrier. There are rules. uh, There are, you know, certain criteria that have to met, be met. And so, you know, for those who are struggling with substance use or an undiagnosed or untreated mental illness, shelter is not a place to go in right now. It's, you know, there aren't really good options for those who may be working through some of those issues. Um, So there are reasons people don't go into shelter and it's not that they don't want a safe and warm place to be, but our shelter system really doesn't speak to all of the unique needs um, those experiencing homelessness may have. And people don't want to break up. People don't want to separate when they're in a a household configuration.
0: Especially in a moment of crisis and and a a tough time. Uh... You mentioned the hotel and can you kind of talk about that and, and this, what the city has done and if that has worked, what, what, you know, what, what has, what have we seen there?
1: Yeah. You know, I think what COVID really peeled back, um, peeled back for us as a realization is a traditional congregate sheltering model um, does not work in the midst of a public health crisis. Um, it's really hard for people to say, stay safe and healthy um, when you're in a very large congregate sheltering environment. And so we um, rallied really quickly at the start of this pandemic and started looking at what our other cities doing, started talking with national partners. How do we need to respond to keep those experiencing homelessness who are at their most vulnerable already in crisis, safe and healthy and making sure that they are afforded the same kinds of protections people in housing have. And one of the responses was hotels to be able to work with hotel partners and have private rooms for people to be able to safely shelter, isolate, quarantine during this public health pandemic. Um, And so the city was as quick to respond to help fund those hotel options um, with the Marion County Health Department. There are a number of them operating right now not only in response to the pandemic, but also in response to winter and making sure there are enough spaces during the cold winter months here in Indy to have um, places to come in. So it's been a good response. And I honestly, Chris, think that it has been vital to keeping those who are currently right now without housing safer and healthier during COVID-19 and reducing infection rates and positivity rates and death rates. The big question now is these are temporary, right? These are temporary solutions. And so we have to make sure there's housing and people are working on housing while in the hotels. Um, We don't want people to go back to congregate sheltering. We don't want people to go back to living on the streets or in cars. So it's really now targeting investment towards housing solutions And making sure that we're working with landlords and property owners and identifying units available to make sure people then are on a pathway to permanent housing from these hotels.
0: We are speaking to Chelsea Herring Cozy, who is the CHIP Executive Director. That is the Coalition for Homelessness, Intervention and Prevention, CHIPIndy.org. You're listening to Now Hear This with Chris Spangle. Um. You know, if I may be direct, I'd like to get your response on uh, a common criticism because the the circle has been uh, an ongoing topic of discussion here in Indianapolis. You know, Indianapolis has really set itself apart from other major or mid-level cities with the hotel and convention business and making sure that the streets are safe and clean And as we have seen over the last year, a rise in the homeless population on the circle, there's been a lot of criticism of that or maybe some policies that haven't worked. What is your assessment of all of that? And what would you say to to someone who says these folks just shouldn't be camping on the circle?
1: Yeah, Chris, and this is a really, I think, important discussion to have. And the first thing I want to say is, and I can't emphasize this enough, it is not a crime to be homeless. It is not a crime to be homeless. Those who are experiencing homelessness should have the same rights as any other citizen of Indianapolis. And those rights include freedom of movement, of mobility, of the ability to enjoy downtown and be part of downtown as a community. Um, And so I think we have to to really work to kind of separate what the issues are. Um, The other thing I wanna reiterate with that is that people who are living unsheltered or without housing aren't choosing that either. And I know that's a common misconception is is people who are living outside and camping in these areas, well, that's what they want to be doing. And we we just shouldn't allow for that. People don't choose to be homeless, um, but not everyone trusts services either. And so what I would say in response to that is, again, criminalizing homelessness is not the answer. What the answer is, is working to engage those who are living unsheltered. And we have phenomenal street outreach teams that are out there every day doing that. They're getting to know who is living unsheltered, what are the challenges, what are the barriers, and how do we really work to create some trust Um, because I mean, think if somebody just came up to you and say, Hey, Chris, I want to work with you on housing, (laughs) right? Got to build a little trust there. Like, who is this person? What are they offering? What's going on? Um, but with, with the sole focus of really understanding why someone is, is out there living unsheltered and what it's going to take to help get on a pathway to housing and a pathway to housing, you know, based on what we call housing first. There's not a bunch of preconditions. You don't have to get sober first. You don't have to treat your mental illness or your health condition. That housing is a right, that there are a lot of reasons people have lost housing. And how do we get people back to that place of stability?
0: Uh, go, go ahead. Finish your thought. Sorry.
1: And so, I mean, that's my response is, you know, the goal is not to displace people or just move people along or to criminalize those who are living without housing right now, it's to engage, it's to understand, and it's to support and walk alongside people as they work to get back into housing. That is the ultimate goal. Um, And, you know, I don't think asking anyone who is living unsheltered why do you choose to be out here is a fair answer. Um, yeah, I,
0: I don't know that it, it is that. It's, I think that for those of us who don't go downtown or who don't interact with the population or who, you know, I'm I'm on the south side, I rarely make it downtown anymore the view is that people have tents and are living in tents outside of the repertory theater, right? Or outside of, it's the encampments. And is that a fair view? Is the media portraying the problem? If there is a problem in a fair way, Um, you know, give us an idea. And then, because I agree with everything you just said, I also look at it and go, all right, but there's, There's a lot of tents on on Monument Circle when I'm looking at pictures on Facebook or on on the news. And that's not freedom of movement. That's an encampment in in a very high prominent area. So is that a fair assessment? And what do you do with that particular situation?
1: Yeah, no, and that's, that's a, a very fair question. And, you know, I think the difference um, between what is being seen on monument circles is how visible it is. There have been encampments around the city and in around downtown for years, but that are, are much less visible. So, you know, at, at the foundation, the question becomes, again, to start, why is this person living unsheltered? What are some of the challenges that we can work to overcome so that living in a tent in public space is not someone's housing option or reality? Um, but in terms of again what you're describing on, on Monument Circle and the ability for you know everyone to enjoy public space together, um, the goal is engagement, a- and that's you know what was done with the recent uh, Monument. Uh, circle encampment closure is we have targeted outreach teams that are working with folks down there to really say there are better options, there are safer options, there are healthier options, and there are more permanent options than living in a tent on Monument Circle. And so how do we work towards those so that, again, we're not just displacing or moving people along, but we're really working to engage them in services um and end that unsheltered experience altogether.
0: Yeah, can um, you can you talk about some of those services? Because it seems to me in, in talking to some business owners who are in the core of the city, they're they're starting to to really look at what the city and the IM, and IMPD and CHIP and all the different organizations that are involved and, and looking on a, a fairly favorable light in what's happening. And so can you articulate kind of what those teams look like and what's happening and how how is the problem? Because this is an incredibly complex problem. I mean, it, it is not something that is, you can't wave a magic wand. And I am of the personal opinion that we shouldn't just move things that cause us discomfort out of view. We should we should be confronted with problems. It's part of why I do this show is so people can understand the complexities here and and then try to solve those problems, you know, then and balancing all these different interests. So how has the city and all the different private and public groups come together to work on this complex problem?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, part of it is making sure we're all working in the same direction. Right. And that we have a coordinated plan which we do. We have a community plan, a five-year strategic plan that really lays out here are the strategies that we have to all really work on um, to move away from just managing homelessness to really resolving it and ending it for households. Um, And again, what ending it means doesn't mean a person won't experience a housing crisis and potentially be without housing. But the goal is to make sure that's really short, it's rare, and it's, it's non-reoccurring so that there's a quick response when someone experiences homelessness. So, Chris, what that looks like is kind of really three, three main things. It's having enough housing available in our city, so enough rental units that are actually affordable, um, available and engaging landlords to really educate them on what rental assistance programs looks like, what it means to accept housing vouchers and those kinds of things. Because I think a lot of um, folks may be reluctant to work with programs that are helping to rehouse and provide housing choices. The second is having funding for those um, housing choices. So what that looks like is rental assistance and that can be short-term rental assistance just to get someone back into housing while they're working on employment or improving income. Or longer term rental subsidies for those who may have more kind of chronic um, illness and issues that may prevent ever achieving the income to stay in housing. So units, rental assistance and, and housing subsidies and supportive services. And again, that supportive services that really match what that individual or household needs because for some individuals and households, it may be um, pretty intense services. If you're if you're working with somebody that has a number of um, challenges that they're working through, and for other households, it's just you know a little bit of service to get back connected to community and connected to resources to address some of the other economic gaps um, that may be you know working. Um, working against stable housing. And it's really having those three things c- come together um, to provide options for folks. And so what that looks like is continued investment in this city of affordable housing and affordable housing all over the city and not just in pockets so that there is choice and people can connect in community. It's continuing to invest in the work of of those providing services, so continued investment in community-based mental health services and in case management services, um, and the work that so many of our providers are doing with individuals and families, and that continued advocacy and work around um, rental assistance and housing vouchers, because as I mentioned earlier, income has not kept up with housing rates, and so there is a gap there that has to be addressed.
0: Yeah, it's a huge problem all over all over the country. Um, so, what what does the? I, I think people kind of here locally they they know Wheeler Mission, right? They know yeah. it's the long long standing Wheeler Mission, and they think like that's the group that works on homelessness. Right. Um, But I don't think that people understand the complexity of of what CHIP, for instance, organizes. And again, we're talking to Chelsea Herring Cozy, who is the CHIP executive director, Coalition for Homelessness, Intervention and Prevention. My name is Chris Spangle. You're listening to Now Hear This. Uh, Can you talk about those three points that you just mentioned? What are the different organizations working on that? does everybody take an individual piece? How much of it is private versus public? I mean, what does that, how how does that uh, strategy play out and who does that?
1: Yeah, great question, Chris, because you're right. I think people just think of one or two agencies and they're the only ones out there doing anything. And I think what I want to reiterate is that there's an entire continuum made up of dozens and dozens of organizations working on solutions to homelessness. So, you know, when we talk about the community plan, our strategic plan, our being the collective, our strategic plan, there were over 400, um, 400 individuals that contributed to this plan representing um, 84 unique, different organizations, all working for solutions. So we have organizations that are doing street outreach. Um, So, Horizon House, Adult and Child, the Homeless Initiative Program have dedicated street outreach teams. And then we have a whole network of what's called Professional Blended Street Outreach that is dozens of organizations that volunteer time to do street outreach um, and make sure they're connecting with those living unsheltered and, and getting those living unsheltered engaged with resources, letting them know that there are not only people out here working, but resources they should be connecting to. We have over a dozen um, temporary emergency shelters in the city, again, working to provide safe places for people to come in. We have community-based mental health partners working to make sure that those most vulnerable, those living without housing have access um, to behavioral health and mental health support. Um, So they're part of this work. We have day centers, um, folks providing, you know, services for folks come in during the day and engage, um, take showers, get laundry, but most importantly, get connected to case managers and resources to address some of the the deeper rooted issues. We have housing partners, Um, you know, we have partners, landlords and property managers that are coming to the table saying, you know, we want to work with you all, we have units, we want to better understand how we can be part of the solution. Um, and so I think, you know, that's one of the things I would love listeners to walk away from is that sense of nobody or only a few people are working on this or paying attention to this issue. Um, That couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, There are dozens and dozens of agencies all working right now in coordination and alignment um, to make things better for those experiencing homelessness to end homelessness faster. Um. And that's part of the work that we do at CHIP is bringing all of these groups together so that we are working in a shared direction that we're able to, to measure progress and to say, hey, where aren't we seeing progress? Where do we need to direct more attention and resources? Um, and everyone has their part in that, their piece in that. Um, and it's really about creating, instead of a bunch of individual agencies out there, Chris, we're, we're really all working to create a system, a system that gets people housed faster, that supports people in housing longer, so people don't return to homelessness. Um, and that really does work from, that works to move away from, let's manage this this issue, to let's really solve it. Let's figure out what we have to do to solve
0: it. Yeah, I will say, and, and I don't know if this is your experience, but Indianapolis, because it puts partisanship second and everybody works on a problem together, it has created these systems of decentralized private organizations that work together because even bureaucrats don't like bureaucracy most of the time right. and it has it has made Indianapolis a very effective city at solving a lot of big problems for for low cost and that's why I love my city i love love doing this show because I hear stories like that, and I'm just like. It's amazing education, homelessness, every different like topic that is tough to tackle for a major city. Indianapolis has these networks that where everybody works together and it's just such a such a cool model that I love about this city.
1: You said it, Chris. I, I mean, I think that's what's amazing is that people are coming together every day. They're showing up together every day and you know, saying, What's my part in this? And how do I make sure that I'm contributing to not just this piece of it, but my piece is helping to create a a system um, that responds to this challenge and that understands the complexities and then works really hard to dismantle barriers and to knock down barriers and to really um, find solutions that are working for people, right? This is about cutting through that bureaucracy and cutting through all of the all of the naysayers and saying, what's it going to take, what's it really going to take um, to address this issue in a more permanent way? And, and that's what I love. And that's what I want people to know is you might not see it and it might not be as visible um, to folks, but there are people working in and out every single day on um, providing better options for those who have lost housing and are living unhoused. Uh, to get them connected to care and housing and prevent people from having to come back into homelessness.
0: Well, Chelsea Herring Cozy, CHIP executive director, their website again is chipindy.org. Thank you so much for joining me. We're out of time.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Chris.
0: Thanks for listening to Now Hear This. I'm your host, Chris Spangle. If you missed any portion of our program, you can listen on our website, NowhearThisIndy.com. If you'd like to have your organization featured on the show, please email Gabby at NowhearThisIndy at iHeartMedia.com. Thanks for listening, and we will be back again next weekend with Now Hear This. Our goal at the Chris Spangle Show is to help you sound smarter while talking with your friends. If you struggle to understand politics, we explain it from an independent libertarian perspective with all of the irreverence modern politics deserves. We toss out the screaming heads and put people before political parties and give context to the news to make you think. I'm the host, I'm a 15-year veteran of politics and media, and this show is published every Saturday. It's part of the We Are Libertarians network, and be sure to join Wall Plus for bonus podcasts, the complete archives, commercial-free shows, and more. Subscribe now at WeAreLibertarians.com.